Tonight on The Readout. We made a lot of progress because of all of you. But there's more to do. So let's finish the job. American split screen. President Biden launches his re-election campaign as Donald Trump faces day one as the defendant in the E. Jean Carroll civil lawsuit accusing him of rape. Also tonight, the fallout from Monday's media red wedding. MAGA world is raging at Fox for firing Tucker. And what's the real story behind Don Lemon's departure from CNN? But we begin tonight with the long-awaited but unsurprising news that Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. will seek a second term as the 46th president of the United States. This is not a time to be complacent. That's why I'm running for re-election. Because I know America. I know we're good and decent people. I know we're still a country that believes in honesty and respect and treating each other with dignity. That we're a nation where we give hate no safe harbor. We believe that everyone is equal, that everyone should be given a fair shot to succeed in this country. Thank you for choosing us. Every generation of Americans has faced a moment when they have to defend democracy. Stand up for our personal freedom. Stand up for the right to vote and our civil rights. And this is our moment. Today marks the fourth anniversary of Biden's announcement of his 2020 campaign when he told America that the fascism he saw in Charlottesville, Virginia, inspired him to run and win. Since his election, he's crisscrossed the country, highlighting his bipartisan infrastructure bill, showcasing how it's helping to repair roads, highways and bridges, including in red states. He's also spent time talking about how he has boosted manufacturing, lowered prescription drug prices and made the largest investment in the environment in recent history. That is, of course, the Biden campaign pitch, and campaigns are about selling a narrative that is helpful to the candidate, full stop. But the actual facts of what happened in the country over the past three years do actually back Biden up. These policies that Biden is touting are real. They are being implemented. Unemployment really is low. The economy is just factually doing well. There are statistics and numbers that align with Biden's message. However, if you tune into Fox, you literally enter a different reality. In the Fox reality, nothing good is happening in Biden's America. Absolutely nothing. In fact, we live in a dystopian hellscape where no one is safe, immigrants are evil, liberals are lazy, woke degenerates. It's, it's basically Thunderdome. She was so beholden to the progressives and to the left that people died because of that mentality, that social justice nonsense. They're trying to do everything they can to to, to get rid of guns. And what about all the people? What about that single 18-year-old girl who's just trying to get her education or go to work? Yeah. Don't you feel for her? How is she going to protect yeah. herself in these, in these radical cities? There are new signs tonight that the crime epidemic under Joe Biden is completely out of control. Some stunning new video from our southern border shows throngs of people crossing into our nation illegally. Now it's about the Tennessee 3%. Yeah, because that's about what they represented, about three percent of Tennessee. It should be the Chicago three or the San Francisco three, because that's how they're acting. I mean, this is what a significant portion of the American public is consuming on a nightly basis, y'all. And some of their most avid viewers who are vying to take on Joe Biden are regurgitating that Fox MAGA talking point 
set of craziness as if it's all real. We're dealing with a lot of political drama that's unnecessary because you've got political, vengeful people out there. And we should be talking about the fact that every state is now a border state. The federal government should be taking care of the immigration issue and they should be taking care of the CCP issue. That's the kind of courage we're going to need to muster to go after these sacred cows from woke religion in the form of affirmative action to this new climate religion, which is completely shackling the American economy and culture. Okay. (laughs) Okay. I feel like you know and I know what is real, right? Like, we live in the real world. Many of us live in cities that are not hellscapes, where women have freedom and folks aren't walking into Starbucks armed with the equivalent of an M16. Republicans, at this point, they are so completely disconnected from reality that a majority of them do not even believe that Biden was elected, even though the anchors that they listen to actually know he was and they admit it in their group chats. They do not believe that the January 6th assault on our Capitol was an undemocratic attempt to steal an election, if they believe it happened at all. Republicans, in general, do not believe that the majority of Americans oppose a ban on abortion access, that most Americans support stricter gun laws and immigration, and do not want to ban books or drag shows. To put it bluntly, they do not believe the objective facts that are literally Googleable which explains their need for alternative facts, as Kellyanne Conway once suggested during her time with the Trump administration. Take, for example, the RNC's fever dream of a hypothetical second Biden term that they cooked up, and this is true, entirely with artificial intelligence. This morning, an emboldened China invades Taiwan. Financial markets are in free fall as 500 regional banks have shuttered their doors. Border agents were overrun by a surge of 80,000 illegals yesterday evening. Officials closed the city of San Francisco this morning, citing the escalating crime and fentanyl crisis. Who's in charge here? It feels like the train is coming off the tracks. Chat GPT, no! <laughs> to be clear, those images you just saw are fake, and the scenes were entirely made up. But Republicans in Fox They know that their people will believe them. But you know what images are real? These images of America under Trump, which includes insurrectionists trying to crush an officer to death because he would they wouldn't because he wouldn't let them overthrow our democracy. Or these images of law enforcement violently clearing peaceful protesters so Donald Trump could pose with a Bible. Or these images of people taking to the streets after Trump's appointed judges ended women's constitutional right to own their own bodies. These things actually happened because of Trump. And they are things that the majority of voters continue to reject over and over again. See Carrie Lake, see Mehmet Oz, Blake Masters, or Donald Trump for recent examples. And here is the wildest part. On some level, elected Republicans know that what I'm saying is true. They know that their vision of America isn't real and that most people do not want to live the way they want us to. You know how I know that? You know what their tell is? They keep silencing dissent. They keep making it harder and harder to vote, and they keep gerrymandering their way to power. The question for voters in 2024, it seems to me, is do you want maybe not super exciting competency, or do you want chaos? Choose your adventure. Joining me now is Mike Memoli, NBC News White House correspondent, Cristobal Alex, MSNBC political analyst and former senior advisor to the Biden 2020 campaign, and MSNBC political analyst and former Senator Claire McCaskill. Claire, I am going to go to you first because you have actually run for office in the real world and also faced the, the fake world. 
And you know how powerful it is. I'm just going to take you back to 2022. This is four years after your last election in Missouri. Just look at these ads real quick. They wanted to fund the police, even as crime rages out of control across the state. Josh Riley, extreme, liberal, dangerous. Mandela Barnes stands with defund the police and supports no cash bail that releases dangerous criminals back into our communities. Streets are exploding with drugs and violence, while liberals like Tim Ryan attack and defund our police. They all lost. They all lost, Claire, because that message of dystopia works. Is Biden, what is Biden in for? I, I, I'm just, I don't know. Go on. <laughs> well, I'm not, I'm not sure that it's going to work this time. Um, I think what they have done after Dobbs and after all the slaughter in schools with military style weapons, I sense that there is a majority of Americans that see the Republican Party as extremists. And the clown car is running the circus in the Republican Party. The most extreme voices are getting the most play. And let's remember, it's really important, Joy, to get perspective here. Tucker Carlson was the number one host at Fox. He had about 3 million viewers a night. Over 150 million people voted for president last time. Mm -hmm. So I think it's easy to assume that what they're peddling over there is what the majority of the Republican Party thinks. There's a whole lot of Republicans I know in Missouri, frankly, that voted for me back in the day, that are very uncomfortable with the fact that in Missouri, the government is going to force a rape victim to give birth to the child of her rapist. They are very uncomfortable with banning books and defunding libraries. They are very uncomfortable with the the gun slaughter going on. And I think that's where Joe Biden wins in a binary choice between the extremists and somebody who wants to unite us and and appeal to our better angels. Let me go to you, uh, Mike, our uh, Biden whisperer. As I watched uh, his ad, his launch ad today, the word I wrote down just a moment ago is nostalgia. Biden is a nostalgia candidate. Mm-hmm. Like he genuinely believes that vision of America that he put forward. So he, he he runs as this like sunny optimist who says we're better than all of this. Right. Even though sometimes we ain't better than all of this. <laughs> right. But he believes it. Does he think that he can leapfrog over what is coming where they're essentially going to basically portray him as a demon straight from the pit of hell, even though the fundamentals are actually good? Well, you know, Joe, I've been talking a lot about a lot of bad poll numbers for the president the last few days. And as I've been talking to some of the senior Biden strategists running the reelection campaign, they say that one of the things that's always been underappreciated about President Biden is that whenever they talk to focus groups, talk to ordinary voters, people see him as an optimist. People Mm -hmm. see him as somebody who's been through some very difficult times in his own life and has continued to maintain this optimistic vision of the country. And so as they contrast that, and we saw it very clearly in that announcement video today with what they see is a Republican vision of a very dark, backwards looking, you know, America, they think that ultimately Americans are going to reward the president for that. But we see really the three legs of the campaign stool today. It's that democracy argument. It's the uh, what Vice President Harris is doing right now, holding a rally on reproductive rights. They think abortion rights is going to be an even bigger issue in 2024 than it was in 2022. But then it's what President Biden did today, speak to a union crowd, 
talk about his economic accomplishments and keep that focus on the middle class. That's why they won the blue wall states in yeah. 2020. And that's how they think they hold them in 2024. You know what's interesting, Chris, of all, is, is, you know, I did a little politics in my, in my day. But I mean, the thing that is so interesting about Biden is he still does politics the way politics was done in the 90s, right? It's very meat and potatoes issues. It's very look at the middle class and say, look at the things that I can do. I'm going to build you bridges and roads and things like that. But now there's something different that he's doing that they never did. Democrats never ran an abortion. They never touched guns. These now seem to be the most powerful issues in his favor, even with sort of moderate people who might in the past have considered a Republican. Is that kind of the way the campaign is probably thinking about it? I think that's exactly right. That's what's happening. That's what we're seeing. Uh, There's nothing more American than fighting for freedom. And that's the message that we saw in the campaign today. I think that's the message that's going to resonate with American voters. That's what the president is going to be running on. You mentioned Charlottesville a little while ago. Um, I think back to the tiki torch racists who were marching in the streets, the ones that President Trump called very fine people. Those are the same very fine people who, just a block away from here, sacked the Capitol. The very fine people today that are trying to ban books. The very fine people that went to the Supreme Court and took away a fundamental right. And I agree with Mike. I think that's going to be a core issue this time. And contrast that with what the president is saying about the job that he's already done, the stats that you pointed out, record low unemployment rate, 12 million new jobs, fighting for reproductive rights, the vice president fighting for reproductive rights. Um, And and he did all of that with a very slim majority. Um, But I never thought I'd wake up one day and my daughters would have fewer rights than their moms. So the country is still on this precipice. We're on this cliff in an election of Donald Trump or someone like him, like a DeSantis who's pushing for a six-week ban. That's at stake, and that's what voters are going to be thinking about in November. And banning drag shows. I mean, it it does feel like—so let's do the downside. Uh, Let me go back through, and I'm going to start with you, Cristobal. Age. So there is polling that shows that people are really uncomfortable with Biden's age. And I'm going to ask all three of you this question. According to NBC poll, uh, 70 percent of Americans, including 51 percent of Democrats, believe Biden shouldn't run for president. And age for 48 percent is a major reason. And the, 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 the people out there who seem to be the most motivated are the youngest voters, Gen Z uh, and millennials. Is that an issue for Biden? No, it's not. Uh, I'll start with personal experience. Uh, Obviously, I worked closely with the president on his first, uh, on the last election campaign that he won. And I will tell you, having traveled with him, and Mike knows this very well, I mean, he runs his staff ragged. He's up earlier than we are. He's working harder than we are. He's on the run. It's exhausting to campaign with him. And that's how he is every single day. So I, knowing him, I'm not worried at all about the age, especially when you compare to someone like Donald Trump, who's just a little bit younger than he is, but way out of shape. So (laughs) not something that I'm worried about. Yeah. It seems to me that I saw Kamala Harris about 18 times in the first 18 (laughs) seconds of that ad. Is that part of the strategy to push forward uh, his his young, you know, Well, frankly, some of this is defensive because we've seen Republican attacks on the vice president really escalate as the campaign nears. They are wanting to put her front and center, argue that this is really a vote for a Harris presidency if you reelect the president. So the president's team knows that they do have to put her front and center and sort of build up her uh, numbers as well. But there is also this idea of the president uh, having a trusted partner in, in the White House uh, that that she has shown over the course of the last three years that she can work closely with the president. And ultimately, when the president is asked about his age, what does he say? He says, watch me. Yeah. And this is something that the, the, the White House, uh, they've, they've acknowledged as an issue. They say, listen, we can't short of a time machine, (laughs) change anything about it. And and ultimately, this is going to be something that voters will will make. You mentioned Kamala Harris and you you are her friend. You know her very well, Claire. What a time to have a woman vice president who's a woman of color when there is the abortion issue front and center that young people and women really care about. Seems like she's a pretty big asset. 
Absolutely. And she's growing in the position. Um, first of all, keep in mind that everybody gives the back of their hand to vice presidents. I remember some really ugly talk about Joe Biden when he was vice president in the Senate yeah. cloakroom. So it happens when you're vice president. It's a hard job to rise above. But she's getting there. Her trip to Africa, the, the way she's going after this issue, the way she is being very relatable to women across America – I think she is going to be a great asset for him. And by the way, let's remind everyone, I have yet to hear a Republican say that Rupert Murdoch, who's in his 90s, is too old to run Fox. <laughs> great point. And that is Kamala Harris that you just saw on the screen speaking at her alma mater, Howard University. Not a bad asset to have uh, if you're running for re-election. And also, you know what? Simon Rosenberg said he'd rather be Biden than the other side, given all the issues. Agreeing with you, Claire. Uh, Mike Memoli, Cristobal Alex, uh, former Senator Claire McCaskill. Thank you all, friends. And up next on The Readout, we are learning more and more about the intrigue behind the abrupt departures of Tucker Carlson and Don Lemon from Fox and CNN, respectively, yesterday. The Readout continues after this. The cable news world is still reeling after yesterday's media red wedding. Two of the most high-profile cable hosts at Fox and CNN, one of them, Don Lemon, a longtime journalist, the other, of course, being Tucker Carlson, were both unexpectedly fired. And today, we're learning more about the big question on everyone's mind. Why? For Tucker, the reason for his ouster may be hidden in some of the redacted sections of those Dominion filings. Puck News is reporting the redacted portion of the filings themselves contained far more damaging exchanges, utterances hidden far from public view, but visible to the Murdochs and their lawyers, as well as the lawyers for Dominion, in which Carlson further disparaged his colleagues and his bosses and said presumably unseemly things. There's also reports that Tucker's removal had something to do with another forthcoming lawsuit from Carlson's former producer, Abby Grossberg, who has detailed a hostile work environment filled with sexism and anti-Semitism. Earlier today, Grossberg told my friend and colleague Nicole Wallace about her experience working for Tucker. Tucker and his executive producer, Justin Wells, who was also fired, really were responsible for breaking me and making my life a living hell. There are literally pictures like this big of Nancy Pelosi in a bathing suit in Europe, plastered all over. Um, there was even one on my computer screen for the temporary computer I had to use and I had to take it down just to work. Um, within a few days there, I was called into Justin Wells' office with Alex McCaskill, who was a senior producer as well. And asked if Maria was having an affair with Kevin McCarthy. It was just, I, I was shocked. Joining me now is Jeremy Barr, media news reporter for The Washington Post, and David Frum, staff writer for The Atlantic. Okay, let's start with uh, this. And kudos uh, to Nicole for getting this interview. One of the other things that Abby Grossberg said, um, Jeremy, is that Tucker was seen to be drunk with power. It was a combination of ratings and power, manipulating the audience, and manipulating also the political system. There was an aspect of, I can pick who the House Speaker is. I can pick who the President of the United States is, or who the Republican candidate is going to be. And she thought that was dangerous. Did did, did, did this guy Tucker start to think of himself as bigger than Fox? I think there's a history of Rupert Murdoch and his son basically putting people in their place sometimes when they get too big for the network, when they start exercising too much power, when they make big choices about, for example, the GOP. And I think that was one factor in this firing here. That it seemed like Tucker Carlson was sort of uncontrollable a bit by Fox management. He sort of flouted that a bit. He talked to reporters without going through the network. He did a lot of things that I think the Fox management would like him to have not done, but it did generate this massive audience 
balance. It kind of was working for him until it wasn't for Fox. And, and you know, look, they're British, so that you know, it's like Downton Abbey. They they they, they kill off their their top uh, stars on those shows as well. So I mean, mm. it, they have a history of doing that. They got rid of O'Reilly, etc. But let's just talk about this idea of the power to pick a president. Let me play for you. This is a recording. This is not Tucker. This is also actually Ted Cruz uh, talking to Maria Bartiromo. And this Ari Melber uh, played this on his hour. He obtained this audio. Take a listen. Who's deciding who, who gets inaugurated? It would be the results of that commission and what they find. And if they found credible evidence of fraud that undermines confidence in the electoral results in any given state, they would report on that. David, this is a United States senator discussing with a Fox News anchor options for blocking President Biden's victory and having a commission decide who the president of the United States is, not the hundreds of millions of people who voted. Under those kinds of circumstances, one might see why the top anchor at Fox thought that he was in a position to do whatever he wanted and talk trash about his bosses and pick presidents. What we're about to do in the aftermath of this firing, an important real-time, real-world experiment on who drives what, uh, does uh, the power of cable and the power of politics. Um, most, there are many Republicans in the House, not so much in the Senate, who are anti-Ukraine for reasons of crass partisanship. Yep. They know they got the signal President Trump didn't like Ukraine, President Trump liked Russia. They didn't care one way or the other. Right. Had it been a different president, they would have done it the other way around. Sure. Tucker Carlson really was himself deeply personally invested in anti-Ukraine, pro-Putin, messaging. He did that on all kinds of weird issues. Your uh, colleague Rachel Maddow pointed out how strange it was that, that Tucker Carlson took a hostile view of Montenegro joining yes. NATO. Yeah. Montenegro is 2,000 kilometers from Russia. Yeah. Why would, and it's a tiny little country with basically a yacht base. Why would he care so much about that? That that came direct from, well, that came direct from somewhere. Yeah. And, and the question we're going to see is, with Tucker Carlson off the air, does Fox sort of go back to typical Republican, you know, if the president's pro-Russia, we're pro-Russia. If the president's yeah. pro-Ukraine, we'll be pro-Ukraine. We don't really care. Or has Tucker Carlson reached something real that is going on inside the Republican world yeah. with his pro-Putin, anti-Ukraine message? Will that survive him? Yeah. Great experiment. And, and also, I will note that last night, the ratings for the eight o'clock hour really un, were unchanged. Maybe the audience just wants to hear their Republican talking points and they don't care one way or another and can be led. We don't know. We'll see. I want to go to CNN real quick. Let me play for you a little bit of the the interview with a, a gentleman named Mr. Ramaswamy, who is running for president on the Republican side. This was his exchange with Don Lemon that apparently was a factor in his being let go. Take a listen. Black people secured their freedoms after the Civil War. It is a historical fact, Don. Just study it. Only after their Second Black Amendment rights had, were secured. They were not fact. secured their freedoms after the Civil War. That is not, you're, you are discounting uh, uh, Reconstruction. You're discounting a whole host of things that happened after the Civil War when it comes to African Americans, including the whole reason that the Civil Rights Movement happened is because black people did not secure their freedoms after the Civil War and, and that things turned around. People would try to change the freedoms that were supposed and to And you know how they the got it? They got their Second Amendment rights and they actually got, the NRA played a big role in that. But today, down the final... The NRA did the, not play a big role. Absolutely. They train black Americans how to use firearms. That's a lie. Those are absurdities by Vivek 
Ramaswamy. Let's just be clear. If that is a factor in the firing of Don Lemon, that seems to me to be an indication of something about CNN more than it is about Don Lemon. Um, is that accurate per your reporting? And is yeah. that a sign that CNN is trying to reposition itself perhaps to take Fox's place? I think the new president of CNN, Chris Licht, made very clear that he wants Republicans to feel more comfortable on CNN. I think staffers at CNN are not sure what that really means. Does that mean they don't have to ask tough questions? That interview with Don Lemon clearly was pretty contentious and framed more morning TV show. They wanted this show to be, you know, your family sitting around the kitchen table at breakfast. And that's obviously a more contentious interview. It doesn't mean what Don Lemon is saying is wrong at all, but I think it's not the vibe they wanted. And maybe the vibe was probably a wrong, you know, maybe that was not the right strategy for this morning show. But, but see, this is the challenge because we were just talking about Fox being complicit in including pushing Russian propaganda to an audience. We're not sure if that's what they want or if that's what they're pushing. But if you then have a station emulating what Fox was and what maybe Fox is trying to extricate itself from being. That doesn't sound like a good thing for our republic. Well, there's another experiment here. CNN's mantra was always, the news is the star. We don't want personalities. We don't want ego. We don't want emotion. We want the news to lead the show. And that's a very inspiring idea. It's not clear that that's what cable TV audiences want. And especially during the Trump years, CNN became like Fox, not ideologically, uh, but in, in having big personalities. And if they're trying to draw that back, they're now going back to an older model of cable news where the news is the start. We'll see if people watch that. And CNN used to host Crossfire, including Tucker Carlson. They wanted the heat until they didn't want it. I think uh, Don Lemon did a fine job in standing up for real facts and history in that. And it's a shame that he is no longer at that network. Thank you, Jeremy Barr, David Frum. Thank you both. Up next, Trump's legal travails continue with E. Jean Carroll's civil rape trial against him beginning today. We'll be right back. New legal proceedings began today for Donald Trump, this time a civil case connected to allegations that he raped writer E. Jean Carroll in a New York department store in the 1990s. Trump has denied the allegations, calling them a complete scam. I interviewed Ms. Carroll in 2019. Here's what she said about what happened. I walked in right in front of him and he shut the door and banged right against the wall. So immediately upon walking into that dressing room, right he attacked you? against the wall. Yeah. Like, I'm just going to love kissing this guy. I, it was, I was so surprised. Did he say anything or, or no. indicate trying to get consent from you? No. Or saying, do you want he him was, to kiss you? He was, I guess this is what he thought was. That he could do. You mean that he thinks he's a celebrity, he can just kiss you. Which is something he, he said. He can take what he wants. Yeah. Today, the judge settled on a jury of six men and three women for the trial. U.S. District Judge Lewis Kaplan is using an anonymous jury, unusual for a civil trial, but he called it necessary to protect jurors from harassment or worse by Trump supporters. When the judge addressed potential jurors in the courtroom, he urged them not to use their real names, even with each other, saying, if you're a bill, you can be John for a few days. Ms. Carroll's case is the first high-profile trial seeking to apply the accountability of the Me Too era to a, to, to a dominating political figure. And yet, one potential juror, a woman, was excused today when she said she believed in the Me Too movement. Trump has been accused of sexual misconduct by dozens of women. He is known for boasting on tape about his lascivious behavior and stirring up his base with misogynistic comments about the survivors of his alleged unwanted advances not being his type. 
Joining me now is Cynthia Altstein, MSNBC legal analyst and a former federal prosecutor. It's great to see you, Cynthia. And, you know, he tried the uh, she's not my type uh, scam, even with this case. Uh, Donald Trump, uh, he said in his deposition that she was not his type. And then this is the photo that the lawyers from Ms. Carroll put up. Marla Maples and Ivana Trump. Trump mistook E. Jean Carroll for, Mar- for Marla Maples. He couldn't tell them apart. Your right. thoughts on this strategy of saying, I didn't rape her, she's not my type. Well, I think uh, I've tried a lot of rape cases because in addition to being a former federal prosecutor, I was a sex crimes prosecutor. And so I can tell you that an old case like this can be very difficult. But in this case, you have a very articulate victim. You have two outcry witnesses. Outcry witnesses uh, in my business are the first people a rape victim speaks to, and they can come forward. They're an exception to the hearsay rule. And then you have this frame of the case, which is the Access Hollywood tape, which is I can take whatever I want because I'm a star. And that fits the other two women who are coming forward, um, who he also sexually assaulted. And then if you add that he's so disrespectful to the jury that he's not even coming, And then one little thing that I don't think people realize that's a real problem in this case for him, and that is there isn't anybody to do the cross-examinations. You know, I'm not of of the belief that Joe Tacopina is dumb. A lot of people make fun of him. I think he's smart, but he is a bully. And the last thing that is needed in this case for Trump is a bully cross-examining these three women. And I think that's a big liability, and Trump's Trump's going to be in trouble here. Uh, There's another thing that seems to be a liability. So Donald Trump tried to exclude some witnesses from this trial. There's a People magazine correspondent named Natasha Stoynoff. This is from the Daily Beast today. People magazine journalist, she claimed that Trump sexually assaulted her, too. Trump's team argued the incident was different enough that jurors should not hear about it because Trump allegedly only touched her shoulders and kissed her and never touched or attempted to touch her genitals. Judge Kaplan said, yeah, no, she can testify. This is the woman who claimed that he basically forced himself kissing her. Um, stuck his tongue into her mouth. Um, She's now going to testify. Right. She's going to testify. And so is the woman on the plane who he also groped. So both of those women, and they fit into that access Hollywood frame, right? Three women, one pattern. I'm a star. I can get whatever I want. And uh, the opening statements today were very thematic about that. And everything fits in beautifully. And I would expect that the victim testifies first, we then we move through these women and then get to damages and the defamation later. But it's very compelling to have these other two women testify in it, and, and it makes the case much stronger than it might otherwise be. Let me play a very quick uh, montage of Donald Trump talking about the things he can do. Oh, okay. Well, we don't have the time. Let me read a little bit of it. Um, You're standing there with no clothes. Is everybody okay? He says, you see these incredible looking women. So I sort of get away with things like that. That was what he told Howard Stern in 2005. Just kiss. I don't wait. When you're a star, they let you do it. You can do anything. Grab them by the, "Mm, you can do anything. Access Hollywood 2005. I could go on. He has lots and lots and lots of tape of him saying he can sexually assault women. All of that, does that come in? Well, he's not going to testify. So it depends on what they got out of him in the in the course of the deposition. I mean, it's it's part of him disrespecting the jury, right? He's a not showing up. B, he's not testifying. And so all we have in the testimony in this case will be his deposition. The the lawyers for the plaintiff have been very effective about getting out information. For instance, the my personal favorite you already brought up is when he uh, mistake 
was mistaken about who his wife was and who the victim was, and he couldn't tell him apart. So there are things in that deposition, but they aren't going to call him as a witness. So whatever's in the deposition, that's what we're going to get. It's going to be interesting. We will have you. Please come back uh, so that we can keep talking about this as this trial. We don't know how long it's going to last, but it's going to be interesting. Cynthia, I'll thank you. Think. Okay. It's going to go. Might be interesting. Okay. All right. Well, come back. Don't, don't make any plans. Uh, up next, as Ron DeSantis continued to be AWOL from his state during a flooding crisis in Fort Lauderdale, hundreds of drag queens and allies marched on the Florida Capitol today to protest Republicans' draconian anti-LGBTQ laws. We'll be right back. As Florida Governor Ron DeSantis abandons his state while he nurses his presidential ambitions, hundreds of drag queens and allies marched on the Florida State Capitol in Tallahassee today, protesting state Republicans' continued assault on the LGBTQ community. The march comes a week after the Republican-led state legislature passed a bill banning children from attending drag shows to placate DeSantis. It was one of three bills targeting LGBTQ Floridians to pass the Florida House in just one day last week. DeSantis is expected to sign it, but it's unclear when, since he continues traveling the world, trying to shore up his flailing presidential campaign. He's been on the road nearly nonstop in the nearly two weeks since historic rainfall flooded Fort Lauderdale. He has yet to visit Broward County. But while he was on the road in Utah last weekend, he pledged to ask the Biden administration for a disaster de declaration for the county. Again, while Ron DeSantis does not have time to fly from Tallahassee to Fort Lauderdale, he does have time to jet off to, jet off to Japan, one of several stops on an international trip. Joining me now is Florida State Senator Chevron Jones, who spoke at today's protest at the state capitol in Tallahassee. And I'll note that uh, uh, he claims he's not even a candidate uh, while he's out there jetting around on the Florida taxpayer dime. So that's a lot of fun. Let me play for you just a little bit of what Darcel Stevens, who's an Orlando drag queen, had to say at this rally today. Take a listen. They hear us. They see us. They have phones just like you. They know we represent so many others. And if they are scared right now, you damn right they should be scared. Senator Shev, you, you spoke at that uh, event as well, and your message was really powerful, too. Uh, is Florida awake? You said Florida's woke. Is, has Florida been suddenly awakened to the dangers of DeSantis? Absolutely, Joy. Good to see you. But absolutely, Florida is is wide awake. I think uh, whether it's the LGBTQ issues, immigration issues, or the uh, the attack on African American studies, all of this is just boiled up to uh, a a mass of people who are ready to push back against Governor DeSantis and the Republicans and their extremism and what's happening in Florida. I mean, we are constantly, Joy, seeing the bills that are coming across uh, in committee. We're currently now still in committee, sitting in a um, for the last seven, eight hours, doing what? We, we're not talking about Fort Lauderdale. We're not talking about dealing with the uh, the over 60% in rate hikes that's about to happen insurance. You, you know what we're doing? We're trying to, we're continually making people's lives more difficult. We're not putting money back in Floridians' pockets. We're making people's lives more difficult. And it's unfortunate that we are here in this place right now in the state of Florida, all because the governor wants to run for, for president. But mind you, he's in Japan. He flew 19 hours to Japan, but wouldn't, wouldn't fly an hour and 15 minutes to Fort Lauderdale. Doesn't sound like he cares much about Fort Lauderdale. Um, he signed this six-week abortion ban in the dead of night. He did release a picture on Twitter, surrounded by a lot of women. Uh, but it seems to me that there are women voters, there are LGBTQ voters. I bet you there are even some trans Republicans. H has, has this 
attack on everybody, it seems, started to change minds about his, I don't know, attractiveness as a presidential candidate beyond just being governor in the state. Well, you know what? Sorry, Joe, but you you know what? Yes, I think what we're seeing now is as this as Governor DeSantis approached this failed attempt to to run for president, uh, I think you're seeing the pushback from. Of course, you're seeing it for Democrats, but you see it from Republicans. Why? Because people see that this extremism is not helping anyone, and it sure is not going to help um, uh, Americans. They don't want someone who is going after Disney. They don't want anyone who is anti-business. They don't want anyone who is anti-democracy. Anti-freedom. They rejected that before. They rejected um, uh, Donald Trump. You think they want this again? People don't want this. People want us to get back to governing. People want us to get back to figuring out the best way to ensure that they can live healthy, free lives. They're not looking at you banning books and all these other things that's happening right now. Have you? Have any of our Republican colleagues expressed any reticence about passing so many anti-gay, anti-black, anti-women bills, and there being repercussions for them, or are they just so confident they've gerrymandered themselves into power that they don't care? You know what the unfortunate part is behind the scenes. Many of the Republicans are extremely uh, frustrated of, of what's happening, um, and I, I wish many of them would, would would really take a chapter out of the profiles and courage, and really just stand up to what we're seeing right now. But that's not the case because they fear the retaliation. Because the governor's office have made it clear: if you go against me, I'm going to primary you, or if you go against me, you know, I'm gonna go against you. And that's not just the way you govern. I mean, again, I'll keep saying it: that's authoritarian. Yeah. I mean, that's not a democracy. It's if Proud Boys was government. And that's not the way it's supposed to work. Our State Senator Chevron Jones, we always appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Always good to see you. Thank you. you Thank too. you. And cheers. And coming up next on The Readout, we are honoring the amazing life of legendary singer, actor and civil rights activist Harry Belafonte. Stay with us. Today was an incredibly sad day for the world of human rights and entertainment, a giant of the movie and music industries. Actually, giant is an understatement. Passed on. Harry Belafonte, the legendary singer, actor, and civil rights activist, was a still-fighting 96 years old. Mr. B first broke out as a movie star in the 1950s, becoming Hollywood's first black leading man. He starred with the great Dorothy Dandridge in Carmen Jones and in Island in the Sun, a film that was banned across the South because of his interracial on-screen romance with Joan Fontaine. But it was his music, specifically Caribbean calypso music, which the Harlem-born Harry inherited from his Martican and Jamaican parents, Harold Sr. and Melvine, that launched his career. Belafonte made history as the first artist to sell a million copies. His 1956 album, Calypso, included the song that would become his signature hit. The album offered not just Belafonte's sultry style, but also glimpses of the activist and fighter who made it, with unapologetically pro-Black, pro-Caribbean, and even feminist themes. Belafonte also won a Tony Award and became the first Black performer to win an Emmy. But his greatest contribution was as an indefatigable fighter for civil and human rights. Along the, a longtime friend and confidant of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., he put his star power behind the fight for civil rights. 
heavily involved in the 1963 March on Washington, both speaking and recruiting other celebrities like his close friend and fellow black leading man, Sidney Poitier, and white celebrities like Paul Newman. He also devoted his money putting up bail for Dr. King and other activists and funding the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee and Dr. King's Southern Christian Leadership Conference. Belafonte also made history as the first black person to host a late night TV show, filling in for Johnny Carson as host of The Tonight Show for a week in February 1968. His guests included celebrities, but also Dr. King and Senator Robert F. Kennedy. That historic week was the subject of a documentary called The Sit-In, which I co-executive produced. What do you have in store for us this summer? I feel that we are in the midst of the most critical period in our nation, and the economic problem is probably the most serious problem confronting the Negro community and poor people generally. There are speeches made about the fact we're going to treat everybody equally, and yet we don't treat everybody equally. He came on and spoke to issues of race through the eyes of black children. Both men would be tragically assassinated just months later. Belafonte was among the mourners at Dr. King's funeral, seated next to Dr. King's widow, Coretta Scott King. Belafonte carried his activism into his later years, leading anti-apartheid marches and boycotts of South Africa, and organizing the Grammy-winning We Are the World recording to raise money for famine relief in Africa. His work in civil and human rights, his human rights causes earned him an Academy Award in 2014, completing his EGOT. And Hera Belafonte never stopped fighting, speaking out against Donald Trump in 2016 and advising organizers of the Women's March. On a personal note, when I first got the chance to meet Mr. B in 2017, thanks to my friend and big brother, the Reverend Al Sharpton, I informed him that my mother had been a super fan and madly in love with him back in the day and had every single one of his albums at our home. His response? Your mother, my dear, had excellent taste. She did indeed. Good night and thank you, Mr. B. And that is tonight's readout. 